of you are welcome to attend Children's Church at this time, and you can head right out the back to meet your leaders. Good morning. Well, if we haven't met yet, then we have now, and I'm Mike McGarry, I'm the youth pastor here. Glad to be uh, bringing God's Word uh, this morning as Pastor Cody is on vacation. So uh, would, you, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Let's pray. Gracious Father, would you lead us into your truth and into your love? that we might walk in it, and that our children would too. So, Father, would you plant the seed of your word of gospel-saturated hope within our hearts? Would you nourish it that it would take root and grow and bear fruit in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our country, in our world, for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, for the first time in American history, uh, fewer than 50% of Americans are members of a local church. Did you realize that? This was the central message of a report that was published just last month by the Gallup poll. And some of you might think, well, what's the big deal? If half remembers, then more people than that are at least attending church, and you don't need to be a church member to be a Christian, so what's the big deal? Isn't church membership just a formality? Well, church membership really has to do with your commitment to the local body. Are you a, a member that is actively serving um, and being served? Are you uh, loving and being held accountable by fellow believers in your community for the work of Christ uh, here in the South Shore and for the extent of the world? Here's why this number is such a big deal. In the year 2000, that was just 20 years ago, crazy to think about for some of us, right? That was, the year 2000 was 20 years ago. Weird. Um, that number was almost 70%. So just 20 years ago, almost 70% of Americans were members of a local church. 10 years ago, in 2010, that number was around 62%. And now it's under that. I believe the number was 48. So in 20 years we've lost over 20% of Americans. That's a lot of people. Right? That is a lot of people. It tells me a lot of those are brothers and sisters who have, who have died and that the younger churches, that the younger members, the, the younger Americans are not joining churches. During that same time frame, the number of Americans who identify their religion as none, right, when they take the census, what is your religion, none, has risen by 13%. So this isn't simply the case of uh, other people coming in 
in, moving in our communities, building mosques or temples. Uh, sure, that's probably some of it because we are a much more uh, ethnically and religiously diverse country than we were 20 years ago. And we need to protect freedom of religion for all people, even while we evangelize and share the gospel. Amen? But this should be a wake-up call for us to really consider what we're doing and how we're ministering to the next generation. As a youth pastor, every parent I talk to says their greatest prayer for their kids is that they would believe in Christ and walk with him throughout adulthood. I think most of us can resonate with that. And if you aren't a parent, then you still likely know children and some teenagers who you are affiliated with and associated with. Maybe they're family members. Maybe they're the kids of some close friends. And we want to see them know Christ and walk in Christ. And after all, if we build large churches and hold positions of power in our culture, but lose the next generation, what have we really accomplished? Second John, the text we're looking at this morning, is built around this celebration of faithfulness. That the children of this elect lady are walking in the truth. Second John is a warning to guard and protect those children from deceivers and from false teachers who would lead them into counterfeit Christianity that would cause them to be cut off from God's promises because this counterfeit Christianity is no Christianity at all. And people are fairly divided, scholars are fairly divided about whether or not this lady was uh, a real, actual individual who probably hosted the church in her home, or if it's a personification of the church, the same way that the church is often called the bride of Christ. So either way, uh, these children are her actual children, or they are the members of her church. So as we look at this passage this morning, uh, I want us to be thinking in both of these arenas about how are we making disciples of the next generation of our kids, and how are we making disciples in our church as we continue on mission for Christ? And so let's pray. Or let's, sorry, let's read through Second John. It's not that long. It's only 13 verses. But we're going to read the whole book together as we move on and consider its message for us. Second John. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, in keeping with the commands that we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. 
This is love, that we walk according to his commands. And this is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. This is the message of Second John. And so it is likely, I'm increasingly convinced, that Second John is actually First John. And that Second John was written to the same church as First John before First John was sent, which is why it's shorter. And the core message of Second John and Second John, of Second John and First John, share so many parallels. And it makes sense that if he's writing, saying, "Hold to the truth and love one another." Watch out and guard against deceivers who are among you, these false teachers who are causing division. And then those false teachers actually caused the division that John would respond by sending a longer letter. And where he talks about and directly addresses the division that has been caused by these false teachers in 1 John. And so we see a lot of parallels and overlaying tones and themes between 2 John and 1 John for that reason. As we tackle 2 John this morning, I think the best way for us to move forward is by looking at the two main sections of the book and then by tying it together uh, by looking at uh, the core teaching on how we can help our children to walk in the truth, whether or not they're biological children or if they are the members of of our church, our fellow believers. So the first section is written to the lady and her children. This is verses 1 through 6. One of the first things we notice in 2 John is the warmth and affection that John feels towards this lady and her children. He refers to her as someone who he loves in the truth. And then he says that he isn't alone, but everyone who knows the truth loves her. I think this is probably more reason why it's probably a metaphorical lady, right? Um, but uh, he, says, he adds his formal greeting and says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. This is a, a lady, this is a church who he dearly loves with all his heart. That's the posture from which he's writing. And from there, he launches into a celebration. He says, your children are walking in the truth. John is full 
of joy over this. I've been reminded this week over the course of a few conversations with some other pastor friends of mine whose adult children have rejected Christ by watching and observing that our kids' salvation is never something to be taken for granted. And so if you're sitting here this morning and your heart is grieved by the spiritual condition of your kids, know that there is no guarantee. And so that also means that you can receive comfort of not thinking, it's my fault. The salvation of our kids, regardless of how godly and holy and humble and gracious and faithful you are, the salvation of your kids is always a miraculous work of God. It's not the result of perfect parenting, and your children's waywardness is not the result of one singular conversation that you can look back on and you constantly beat yourself up over. Receive the grace of God. Parents, parent out of grace. You do not force and press your kids into Jesus or away from him. Remember that whenever we force-feed Jesus to our kids, whether or not your, parent, your kids are young or your kids are grown, whenever we force-feed Jesus on anyone, they do the same thing that, when we, that people do when we force-feed them anything. They spit it out. Right? That, and we receive this in grace. So just love your kids. Teach the truth. Speak the truth in love. But don't force anything. Pray and trust the Lord's kindness to lead your kids to repentance and receive his grace along the journey as you love your kids. And we see this in 2 John. The words truth and love both show up five times in the first six verses. This is an obvious way that ancient writers would emphasize something. They didn't have bold or italics or just write it in, in larger letters. They didn't use a different color ink, right? Instead, the authors would repeat certain words or phrases to make sure their readers couldn't possibly miss what they're trying to say. 1 John 3.18 similarly repeats, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Right? And so we see truth and love consistently being uh, poured out before this lady and the church on behalf of the kids. What John is saying here is this, is that truth is important. Walk in it. If it doesn't matter, and if it doesn't impact the way you live, then you don't really believe that thing is true. We see that truth, right, walking in truth means that we are obeying God's commands and that we are loving one another. That if we are people of the truth, as poured out and revealed to us by God, 
who sent his son, Jesus Christ. Then we will embrace his truth and his commands. And we will embrace his truth in his heart. That we will walk and talk as he has told us. And that we will love others the way that he loved us while we still hated him. Both of those are what it means to walk in truth. So, if you are doing one but not the other, then you are not fully walking in the truth. Maybe you're limping in the truth, but you're not walking in it. And so for many of us, we are good at the command part of speaking the truth. And if people get upset, then hey, they're, they're just upset. But I'm just saying it like it is. And others over here say, look, we need to be known for love. And I, I don't see how God could say or do this when God has shown us that love in Jesus. And so we kind of soften the truth in the name of love. And, and so uh, I think churches, individuals, tend towards one or the other. If it's a seesaw, which way do you lean? Are you someone who holds the truth and you're kind of light on love? You are just as in need of correction as the person who is strong in love and light on truth. I think for churches like ours, we probably tend <laughs> towards this side, right? That may we be known as people who love generously in the truth. Remembering that communication isn't just about what we say, right? I think every married couple learns this eventually, right? Communication isn't just about what we say, it's about what the other person hears. So if I say something with a posture of love, but they hear it as a word of judgment, that's not entirely on them. Now, sometimes people hear what they expect to hear. Right? Jesus walked in perfect truth and grace and was still crucified. But as best as we can, are we genuinely walking in the truth and setting that example for our children and setting that example for one another in the church. You see, Second John is celebrating the faithfulness of this lady's children. And if our kids hear us talk about Jesus but they don't see any meaningful impact in the way that we spend our time, what we say yes to, what we say no to, how we spend our money, the things that make us upset. These are the things that display our loves and our affections. And so as a family and as a church, 
May we be people who walk in the truth with love and with obedience. In this second section, John says to beware of deceivers. Right? Beware of deceivers. So who are these deceivers? He says in verse 7 that these are people who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Isn't that funny? So when he talks about the false teachers, he says they're people who deny that Jesus was human. Is that, that's strange to us today, isn't it? Because the, the popular philosophy of the early church, of what was happening in the Roman Empire during the days of the early church, uh, was this philosophy called Gnosticism, which says that spirit is good and the body is bad. The spirit, good, physical, bad. If you want to write that down, you can use that for your PhD dissertation someday. Right? Spirit, good, body, bad. That's Gnosticism in a nutshell. That converged with Christian philosophy in saying, well, then Jesus appeared to be human and made it look like he was eating and sleeping and doing other body things, but he wasn't actually because we know that Jesus was God. So he couldn't possibly, right? So here's my question. These deceivers and false teachers were people who quoted scripture, who were in and among churches, right, traveling from church to church, asking for hospitality and for the opportunity to be guest preachers and guest teachers and to share their wisdom and their learnings with the church. They were not people who were in the pagan temples. They were Christian teachers who were traveling among the churches teaching false doctrine and false views of Christ. If 2 John was written today, what would the example be of false teachers in Christ's church? Because these seemed to be godly teachers who, when they traveled, were received warmly. People of character with good intention. And so, brothers and sisters, our theology matters. Having good intention is not just enough. Having warm affection for God and for the scriptures and for the church, it is possible for heretical teachers to slip into the church as preachers, as Sunday school teachers, as leaders, And to mislead the children. And so this is why we are careful about the songs that we sing. This is why when you come to church, you hear an expository sermon that is clearly anchored in the text of Scripture. This is why we preach the gospel every single week. Because if you hear a sermon that isn't clearly anchored in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then how is it a Christian sermon? 
And in the end, John says these people are false believers. They're counterfeit Christians because their theology is so off the mark. I like what um, Reverend Dr. Codius Busbemus said a few weeks ago. Where he says, you cannot get salvation right if you get Jesus wrong. Right? Cody said that the other week. I was like, man, that's good. You cannot get salvation right if you get Jesus wrong. We need to reject progressive Christianity. We need to reject the prosperity gospel. We need to reject Jesus as a political revolutionary. We proclaim Christ. And so this is why John moves on in verses 10 and 11 saying, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't receive him into your home. Do not greet him. The one who greets him shares in his evil works. This is confusing to me. Because John has just finished saying, Love one another. And then he says, don't welcome them, don't greet them. How does this make sense? This sounds really harsh. uh, But there are three things to highlight about this. First, it refers to the teachers of false doctrine, not merely to believers in it. So if people have been misled and led astray, that doesn't mean that we shun them. It means that we don't put them on the pulpit and we don't give them teaching responsibilities. We love them and we patiently lead them in the truth. Second, we see that John was probably writing to the lady who is the host of the church or to the church itself as a personification by calling her the lady. And so by saying don't receive these deceivers into your home or greet them, John was telling them to refuse to give them a platform for their false and heretical teachings. And third, he says these false teachers are heretics, right? That their, their understanding of Christ is so different from what the Bible teaches that they are not true Christians. That's what it means to be a heretic, that you're... Your theology, your understanding of the gospel is so off that it is not Christianity anymore. This passage doesn't give us permission to blast one another online over every disagreement, all in the name of loving one another towards the truth. Verses 6 and 10 belong together. We must walk in love and guard the gospel. Both together simultaneously. If we are not walking in love, then we are wrong. If we are entertaining false teaching, then we are wrong. But we tend to allow one while condemning others. So know your tendency... And walk in the truth. John wasn't saying to ignore these false teachers when you walked past each other on the road. Refuse to give them handshakes. We are called to love our neighbors 
and our enemies, that doesn't mean that you let them have a leadership role in the church. And so as we start to tie things together, it's important to admit that one of the reasons our church today in America is losing the next generation, our children, both literally and figuratively, is because we haven't done a very good job at this. We're living in a day where denouncing racism is perceived as a political statement. Brothers, sisters, racists will hate heaven. We are called as one people. This is not a political statement. This is the gospel. I'm not Jewish. Praise God that we have a gospel that reaches Gentiles of every tribe and culture and language and ethnicity. We need to love one another generously while guarding the truth. Churches like ours have a wonderful legacy of holding on to sound doctrine. And I'm so thankful for this church. And my prayer is that we would increasingly be known as a church who is generous in our love for one another and for our community as we send out missionaries and evangelists into our worlds. Amen? This is the Great Commission. And so, as we look at how can we help our children walk in the truth. First, we need to hold truth and love together. I think we all know people who say, I just tell the truth. If people are upset or offended, that's up to them. Right? But that's just not a biblical statement to make. We do need to speak the truth, but we need to speak it in love. Now, I know that can be hard for us. It's hard for me. Just a few days ago, I was meeting with a brother and found myself kind of not sure if I should say something or if I shouldn't say it. And me and my big mouth said it and then ended up having to apologize for just... It came out totally wrong and mean and caused offense. And that's on me. Because I said it wrong. You can speak the truth wrongly. And then guess who's wrong? You are. Because you weren't kind. You weren't respectful. You weren't loving. May we speak the truth with the heart of God. That sometimes cuts and leads to repentance but that leads to grace and mercy and freedom. Second, do not be deceived. Some deceive us away from the truth. Others deceive us away from love. Both are wrong. The emphasis here is on those who teach false doctrines to the point that they are turning others away from the gospel. Are we teaching the truth with love? 
Are we welcoming deceivers into our homes, onto our phones, in our podcasts, in the music that we listen to, on the YouTube channels that we listen to? Who are you listening to? Who is leading you? Who is teaching you? Who is discipling you? Be discerning. Right? Be discerning. And third, prioritize face-to-face. Right? Verse 12, John says, Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. There's always been this temptation to allow too much distance between ourselves and other people, especially when there's conflict or potential conflict on the horizon. And John was sending letters, right, this high-tech industry of pen and paper and ink, and saying, I don't want to be content for our interactions to be restricted by pen and paper and ink. And we still feel that today, don't we? I mean, in some sense, this could have been perfect for quarantine, where all church has gone online and virtual. And there's good reason for that today, but our desire should be face-to-face, actual relationships. You cannot be sufficiently discipled into spiritual maturity by an online pastor. Brothers, sisters, we need one another. We need to be together in whatever way we can. And so the point, the solution to our country's church membership problem isn't better music or more fun or bigger bells and whistles. It's interesting to note that report also says the churches who are growing are churches who hold to historic Christian teaching. If we want to celebrate with the elect lady of Second John that our children, our kids, and our churches are walking in the truth, then we need to be anchored in the gospel. Is there any message that is more full of grace and truth? We need to teach our kids about who Jesus is, what he's done, and help them learn discernment to identify false teachers. And we do that through real and meaningful relationship in the church. I'm so thankful for this church, for our legacy of holding out the gospel of grace. If you're a member here, I want to encourage you to remember why we do what we do. To glorify God by worshiping him and making disciples on the south shore and beyond. And if you're a Christian who considers this your church home and you're not a member, then simply ask why not and consider attending our church's upcoming membership class to learn more about why church membership is more than just a formality. And if you're here and you're not a Christian or if you're listening online, I want to invite you to consider Jesus Christ and the promise of new life he offers. That he who has Christ has God and is in God. This is good news indeed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, would you help us to walk in the truth 
by obeying your commands and loving one another. Remind us each day, each hour, each minute of the gospel that we have been fully and perfectly loved by Jesus Christ. Not because we were worthy, but because God is love. And so help us to love one another in that way too. Would you give us spiritual discernment to identify truth from lies and to guard your church against deceivers and false teaching? As we prepare to leave this place, give us grace and truth that we might live faithfully and that our children would too. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing this prayer in response to the word of the Lord. Would you please stand as we sing?